Hello, friends. Just when you thought you were safe, another episode of the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast is upon you. <laughs> These intros are getting more and more weird because I, we've just, you know, we've been working a lot. Um, Kevin and I have really been putting a lot into this podcast, into the content we put online, into our relationships with coffee people, with our loved ones. Uh, 2020 is a crazy fucking year. Um, hope y'all are doing great. Uh, it is 9.30 on a Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. And I'm recording this intro for you because this is going out tomorrow morning, a.k.a. this morning when you're listening, hopefully Thursday morning. We've got another really special guest today. Um, I'm actually kind of giddy about this one. Uh, I've been trying to get Sarah Allen, the co-creator and editor-in-chief of Barista Magazine on the podcast for a while. I've been emailing with her back and forth and just when we were going to all finally get together and do the podcast, the world blew up again for the fifth time this year. Um, and so we had to reschedule, but here we are now and... My God, what a what a fantastic, enlightening, and um, awe-inspiring conversation we had. If you haven't heard of Sarah Allen, you've probably heard of her magazine, Barista Mag. Barista Magazine. Um, They're in cafes all over the country. They put out six issues a year, um, and they've been around for over a decade now. Sarah and her husband run the whole operation um, out of their home. They have an upstairs office where they're able to hang out with their dogs and they're able to create this incredible, you know, expression of a subculture that we all know and love. And we got to sit down with Sarah for about an hour and talk about where that passion came from. Uh, we looked into her history a little bit, where she came from, um, when she and her husband decided to take the dive and start Barista Magazine from nothing with credit cards and loans from their parents, um, what that was like. And once we got through that, we spent the majority of the time talking about current events and how they had a whole issue ready to go. They had a, an entire magazine's worth of content ready to go and then the Black Lives Matter movement hit the streets and, you know, lit the internet on fire. And Sarah and her husband looked at each other and they were like, we've got to scrap this and we've got to tell this story through the right lens. Um, and we really dug into white privilege. We dug into um, the best ways for us to be honest with ourselves and we covered ways that Barista Magazine is actively looking to broaden the diversity of the voices in their magazine and how they can be a supportive place for the BIPOC community. I got to say, I know I say this a lot, but this was one of my favorite interviews. Um, and I don't know if it's because you know Kevin and I are starting to hit our stride a little bit and get a better feel for how to interview people or if just Sarah's a really easy interviewee um, because we had a great time and we can't wait to have Sarah back to talk more about barista culture and fun stuff. Um, 
But right now, again, the, the conversation needs to continue to be how can we be better to our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and our community. So with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Sarah Allen of Barista Magazine. Coffee Collective Podcast. I'm Kevin Miner. With me, as always, is Matthew Pfeiffer. Matthew Pfeiffer has just started recording a call uh, that we started conversing over over two hours ago. Two hours of footage has been lost, and it's all Matt's fault. It's not two hours. Don't, <laughs> don't do no, that. No, 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 no. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but Matt, who, Matt, who's our guest? I mean, come on, you, you. You're the man who got in touch with Sarah on this. So please, I know, Sarah. Means, introduce our guest for us. Sarah Allen. Uh, Sarah Allen, you're the editor-in-chief of Barista Magazine. You and your husband uh, run the whole operation. Um, you and I have been in, in contact for a pretty long time now. Um, we were scheduled to podcast a while ago, but then the world kind of set itself on fire, and you were off to the races, you know, changing with the times keeping your editorial up to date um first of all how you doing i'm doing great thank you for having me i have been Thanks over the last here. few months uh, become a huge fan of what you guys are doing for upstate coffee collective bringing your community you. together and celebrating coffee so i'm thrilled to be talking to you guys thank you we're doing our very very small part to be like so I, one of our friends locally called us like the cheerleaders of the coffee community. For like, sure. Awesome. Right. We're just kind of like, like, I love coffee. I love what everybody in coffee is doing, working towards equality in coffee, working towards transparency all along the coffee chain. I love it. And I sometimes have a weird dream where I am, in fact, a cheerleader and I drink a lot of <laughs> coffee. So that it just fits. Uh, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> Sarah Allen, quickly, what's in your mug? Well, um, it is late afternoon here in Portland, Oregon, and so I have moved on to tea, and I will soon move on to a beer. But this morning, we had a beautiful, beautiful pot of coffee from Temple Coffee Roasters in Sacramento, California. It was... Uh, a Rwandan coffee from the Hing Akawa Women's Co-op. Um, so it was just a, a beautiful coffee. There's a beautiful story behind it, which is that, um, you know, back when the genocide was happening in Rwanda, most of the men in the country were killed. And with all the coffee that is grown in Rwanda, the only people left to uh, run the farms were the women. And so they took charge because it was the only thing they could do to feed their families. And they have grown such incredible coffee ever since and it is still a largely women run uh coffee industry in rwanda just a quick side note that just like most of the men like like to say that you know during a war millions of people died like it's when you say it like that it's like oh it's so many people that it's hard to to grasp but when you say most of the men in rwanda died like that that really hits home it was yeah. about I, I, I cannot, uh, this is a 
vague memory, but I believe it's it was around 70%. Boop, Future Mad here. Uh, the Rwandan genocide. <laughs> the boop was so positive and, and joyful, but this is such a sad topic. <laughs> The Rwandan genocide, also known as the genocide against the Tutsi, was a mass slaughter of Tutsi, Twa, and moderate Hutu in Rwanda, which took place between April 7th and July 15th, 1994, during the Rwandan Civil War. An estimated 500,000 to a million Rwandans were killed, about 70% of the country's Tutsi population. It's a lot of people, mostly men. Um... Oh, God, what a terrible... Dude, cancel all humans. Honestly, just cancel us all. Okay, back to the show. So that's... The thing that I love about the focus on women's co-ops is coffee is such a realm of equality, and it's always pushing for that equality. It's pushing for equality of the dollar. It's pushing for equality for women like just gender equality in general um and to especially like with what you were talking about with the rwandan women's co-op and then also with luke and Brittany focusing on the women's co-op down in uh peru Mm -hmm. which uh is actually part of co-op ofsi right and that's the coffee that we just got that's right yeah yeah which is delicious and that would be in my mug right now but it's 630. It's 630. And I'm having uh, the same thing you're having. Matt, what's in our mugs? We're drinking whiskey. We're actually drinking two different whiskeys. You have Kentucky no, bourbon. Oh, did you did you swap over already? I swapped over. Kevin's on his second glass of whiskey. So yes, as he should be, as he should be. Yes, it's 630 here. Or I guess now it's it's seven o'clock here in upstate New York. And we are drinking bullet bourbon. It's actually rye. Yep. Bullet rye. Bullet rye. Uh, <laughs> I also, I, I should add, officially as of right now, been up for 36 hours. We don't need to talk about it. Sarah, let's get into uh, what brought you into coffee itself. Now, like I said, we've we've kind of peppered a little bit of this conversation for ourselves already. We've been chatting a bit. Um, you went to school for writing, correct? Yeah. I did my undergraduate in English and my graduate degree in journalism. That's awesome. Um, and then one thing that you, you mentioned before we started recording this was you had like a focus on subcultures. Yes. What, what was it about subcultures in general as like a concept that kind of like brought you into that? Uh, well, actually it was something that my, um, that my primary professor in grad school was really interested in as as a, a, a technique for working on our writing in specifically in literary journalism. So we were we all um, had to as an assignment choose a subculture and write about it. Um, mine I got so deep in I ended up writing my thesis on it, um, and mine oh, was cool. the, about. Uh, Boys Who Shoot Boys, um, because it was right around the time of Columbine, and it was uh, just when the world was sort of realizing that uh, little boys in America are facing some um, pretty troubling stuff to have to grow up with. So I volunteered in a classroom for a year working with these kids and and wrote my thesis on it. So 
so I got really deep into that subculture and I loved, I loved that feeling of being able to get into something and view it from the inside, which as a writer, you often don't have the opportunity to do. You're writing about a different thing for a newspaper, especially a different thing every day. Mm-hmm. And so you never get deep into something. And I wanted to find my thing that I could get deep, deep into. Oh, that's awesome. And, and so coming from that, like, and developing an interest in subcultures, did you find it, what was it that kind of drew you to baristas specifically as a subculture? So when I started writing about coffee, I was writing for a different coffee magazine that w- that's a very general coffee magazine, um, covers, you know, everything from what syrups you should choose to, you know, the a roasting schedule for your company or just everything, which is awesome. <laughs> but everything. I, yeah, but I was really wanting and, and specialty coffee is itself really specific, but I wanted to get even more specific within that. And it was, this is, you know, 2003, it was right when barista competitions were starting. Um, they were getting a foothold. It was right when the Barista Guild of America was starting. And so we had just oh, exceptional cool. timing. And when we started, um, because, you know, back then baristas were sort of an afterthought. And today they are center stage in the coffee industry as, uh, you know, trendsetters and change makers. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, was there like, I mean, obviously you were you were into it back then. Was there a different like ambiance about the barista competitions back then? Was, was it like like a fight club ambiance or like, you know, like were, were people just getting together and like close down cafes and like throw down <laughs> latte art or how was how that working back then? <laughs> the throwdowns, the throwdowns didn't start for a few more years. Um, people weren't as into latte art except for a few exceptions like David Schomer in at Vivace in Seattle mm-hmm. and stuff. But the competitions had more or less the same structure they have now, but they were wacky. They were like, you know, you wouldn't see the stuff you see today that is so precise and everything is measured Uh, and weighed. And, and, you know, you would see people like, (laughs) I remember a competition in the beginning where someone, their signature drink was a, was a coffee milkshake and they just got out the big tub of ice cream and just started scooping, (laughs) scooping into oh the blender, God. looked at it halfway full, decided maybe I should scoop some more. Just a little more. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, how far we've come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but, but there's something kind of magical about the way that it was so simple back then, so people really did interpret it creatively differently than they're able to now. So, Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's been great to watch it grow. Oh, that's yeah, all, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I uh, I was listening to a podcast recently, and I we they were talking about um, like barista competitions early in specialty coffee, and apparently, oh, you know, it was the it was the Cat and Cloud podcast. <laughs> what else would it be? Shout right? out Cat and Cloud podcast. Jerry <laughs> Truby, Chris Parker. <laughs> where we talk about the Cat and Cloud podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, they right, would love right. it. <laughs> okay. So in this nondescript podcast I was listening to the other day, <laughs> um, scales weren't allowed in barista competitions early on. 
Oh. Yeah. You had to, it was all about the feel. There was more of that like contextual, textural feedback. If that, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Am I describing that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. More sensing than perceiving. Like, yeah. And it was also uh, about, you know, doing stuff on stage that was reflective of what's actually going on in a cafe. And at mm -hmm. that time, no one was using a scale in a cafe. But now everybody uses scales in cafes and have uh, it's even been streamlined to make it faster and more efficient to use scales like espresso machines developing scales in the drip tray. So, mm -hmm. Well, and then now even uh, to control uh, the grind size variation, have you heard about like the fan installations that are going to be put yeah. in to like yeah. reduce the heat on burrs? Like I, I mm -hmm. love hearing about those forward steps in coffee because it just reminds you how many finite little details, like how much minutia there is to be just like picked apart and like fine tuned in the coffee industry. Well, and that's why I love the coffee industry so much. And especially mm. the barista community, because mm. there is, there's, you're never done learning. Like anyone who tells you they're an expert in coffee is, it's Lying. not an expert in coffee because, like, <laughs> the, the very best, smartest, most capable people in coffee will say, yeah. I still have so much more to learn. And right. I love that they're constantly digging in and perfecting the process and creating new things and inventing new things. And mm. I mean, that's where the joy comes from. Yeah. Who, who was it that said, All I know is that I know nothing? Socrates. Ooh, trick question. It was actually Socrates' account of Plato. That's a Plato quote. Socrates was never recorded saying that. Yeah, well, it, it was it was along those lines. It's been kind of like picked apart and said a bunch of different ways and like quoted, misquoted, taken out of context, you know, like just like I did. Uh, well, no, no, you might have said it pretty close. Um, speaking of creating new things. So you're at this magazine you and your husband just kind of had like, was there like a day or like a time where you were just like, Oh, we're going to go do our barista mag now. Like, did you just like, you kind of went into work and you're like, you know, I feel like we should do ours now. Um, it was a, a few things. One was I, when I coming from the corporate world of mainstream newspapers, mainstream daily newspapers. I never, I never would have considered starting our own company. But then when I started working in coffee, seeing all these Looney Tunes starting their own companies just because they had a dream to do it and they just loved it. And they were just like, why not? And I never, I never thought, I never even considered it. So I was like, well, we're Looney Tunes. We can do it too. And right. why not? Why not just give it a shot? The enthusiasm of entrepreneurs is amazing to me. I mean, the the very small step that Kevin and I took to like kind of starting our own business, starting our own business. I, I get I get kind of weird and modest about it because it's so new. But like Dubstep Coffee Collective, you know, has a retail side of it. Right. Like we sell coffee um, and even the the mindset change to or I should say from how do you do it? It's too much. I can't do it. I don't know anything to like, I make the rules like, no, like I, I just, there was a moment, uh, 
as a person where you realize that like you go from the world has created the rules and I follow the rules to being like, oh, I'm the adult now and I get to kind of figure out better ways of doing things. I get to decide that my life is my own and do something for myself. And that's why like entrepreneurs are really, uh, really inspirational and impressive to me. And so were you, was there fear? Was there apprehension when you took the dive and you were like, we're going to start barista mag Mm -hmm. on our, on our parents' parts for sure. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Because we started barista magazine with credit cards and loans from our parents, um, which have since been paid back, which is great. But, uh, yes, but uh, it was also that, um, Getting the more I got into the coffee industry, you know, I I loved it then and I love it now. But I was seeing some stuff that I thought maybe there should be more diversity of voices out there. Um, and so that was the why don't we do it? Why don't we create that platform? And why don't uh, we write the rules? And see how it goes. And so it was exactly That's, like what you're talking about. I don't know if we thought about it as on as deep a level as that, but we, <laughs> yeah, we wanted to create something for a group of people that did not have anything of their own at that time. That's so cool. I love that. Um, for for our listeners, we've been privy to this information. You also worked with two other women who now run publications themselves yeah who are those women what are those those publications again at the when we were all we were all at a coffee magazine together at the same time and it was connie blumhardt who owns founded and owns roast magazine and Mm -hmm. karen foley who founded and runs imbibe magazine everyone always wonders why all the coffee and beverage magazines are in portland and that's why we all left to start our own thing that's so cool that you all like were in the same place maybe inspiring one another with your own entrepreneurship and also kind of like finding your niche at the same time, like baristas, roasters, cocktail beverage and craft beverage makers, you know, like that's so cool that you each kind of like dug your claws into a little bit of that. And we're like, all right, cool. I I definitely can make something. Side note is, is Kevin making you um, like seasick? (laughs) <laughs> am i like, shaking no. my camera oh yo, yeah you, the camera's in your hand so you're like bah, bah, bah. i i really liked buster Rhymes music videos growing up yeah like, I could that's tell. why I'm doing this. <laughs> um so we could talk forever about um you know the inception of barista magazine um and i do have so many questions about it but i really really want to hit on kind of like the the on a dime pivot that you guys had to do in the wake of not only COVID-19, but then, you know, the, this police brutality and racism, you know, black lives matter movement that resulted in, you know, cities on fire protests. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you probably had all of this content collected for your magazine and you were like, this is not the time for it. Like we need to just pivot right now. Tell us about that. That is a good question. I can, I basically have like two full issues worth of content finished and ready to go that hopefully will run later in the year or hopefully at some point it will all see the light of day. But um, yeah, we had, so COVID and the pandemic became a huge issue just about 
in the States just about a week before our, um, or right after we sent our April, May issue to press. And our April, May issue every year is our biggest of the year. It's not only our anniversary issue, but it's the one we give away at the Specialty Coffee Expo, which is the biggest show which in the world of all year. Happen. Right. And yep. which didn't happen. So um, so that issue came out and I felt so weird about it because we didn't have any information about COVID. We had a little thing where we're like, we, we this is happening, but it's changing faster than we can keep up with it. Um, so that issue came out and we had already started work on our June, July issue. Um, and that was the one that we decided scratch everything we're going to make this issue about how this pandemic is affecting the coffee world and talk to um some of the leaders in the industry about what they think the future looks like um we also did keep a couple stories in that issue that didn't have anything to do with covid just to keep some semblance of normalcy because we all sort of needed that then yeah for sure yeah so then we started yeah, that planning a little our- bit of like, hey, there's still things going on in the world that aren't COVID, that aren't social justice reform. Right. Yeah. So we we were feeling really good about that issue, the June July issue, and then uh, five days after, five days before it went, it came out. George Floyd was murdered, and we realized yep. that the world was changing once again, and this was. Uh, an incredibly important narrative to reflect on as well. And so we've changed the focus of the August, September issue, but this one goes a little farther because we are trying to be accountable for our responsibility to create opportunities for more black voices, black writers, mm-hmm. artists, photographers. So um, we've definitely did that, done that with the issue that we're working on now, but that is something that will be long lasting into the future. So it's That's just great. a time of, of great learning for all of us, yeah. especially us white people. Um, yeah, sure. one one thing I've really liked that's come out of everything that's going on is, and and I've I've had to explain to a couple of friends, like some people are like, well, aren't you just like catering to black people, to people of color at that point? And it's it's no, it's that we weren't before, and now. We're, we're, we're bringing them up to that level of equality. So it might seem like a lot right now because you're hearing a lot about it and because it's happening on a day-to-day basis, we're still making these changes. But once we get to a point where like the normal is not that anyone's inequal in their opportunity to be uh, given a voice and, and or to lend their voice, we'll, we'll be in a position where we won't feel like either is imbalanced, you know? I would love to get to that place, but I think there's a lot of work left to do. I agree. We have a lot of work to do. um, And there's a lot of time. There's a lot of lost time to make up for and a lot of lost lives. Well, and thankfully, though, because of uh, the world changing, let's put it this way. Thankfully, because of the world changing and because of, you know, we had to change as well. And we had to change in a way that's very similar to Barisa Mag. We were like, oh, COVID-19 is happening. And we don't really have time to adjust. All of our friends are out of work right now. Let's just empty our pockets. That's how we ended up being introduced to Sarah. And that's because, Matt, you you heard that they were looking for stories about oh, yeah. COVID-19, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that, about that's helping your know. community. Yeah. And like and, different coffee companies doing things to support their community. And I'm so and, glad that Matt reached out. Me too. Cause yeah. like, I didn't even think about it. Matt and I just like, we had a conversation where we were like, let's just give all of our money back to the community. That's the right thing to do. Like, that's just what we wanted to do. And then Matt was like, Oh, Hey, I was in touch with Barista magazine because of what we did. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. I never thought about that. Um, it was a yeah, Matt wrote in and, and told me about like that you guys had um, money in your in the Upstate Coffee uh, Collective fund. That yeah, we had like an educational future, fund. Right, that you would have used on future events. But because all the events were canceled, you guys made the really compassionate and awesome decision to just divvy it up among the virtual tip, tip jars. And I yeah. love that. Yeah, that was that was like a really that was a really mixed day. You know, that was such a roller coaster of a like we did the right thing, but it like also sucks that we have to do that because everyone's out of work. Yeah, the reason was like somber, but the the feeling was like this was the right thing at the same time. Yeah, it was it was a super heavy day. Um, the decision making process was uh, like <laughs> less than. 10 seconds long you know what i mean like we weren't like well can we should we it was like oh yeah no that's that's what we should do like there's no if ands or but about it um in i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot the conversation though back to kind of the the current issue um so you were saying you know you guys saw this thing happen um you you saw the world changing before your eyes you wanted to make sure that you're able to give um a voice to people who were maybe underrepresented in the past, um, what were some like steps that you took in order to see that you were hearing from more people of diverse backgrounds? And then also like, you know, like what did that conversation look like? Because it's very easy for us to be like, yeah, we should make sure that like we have more, you know, more contributors that are black, but like it's, you know, there's, there are so many layers to it, right? Like, you have to find those people. Those people have to find you. It's so it's like a like a connection issue as well, right? Yes, it's easy to get comfortable with the people that I've been working with for years, and writers that I know. Well, you know that person's really good at writing about writing profiles, and that person's really good about investigative stories. Um, but the onus is on us to be constantly sourcing more voices. So last week, we put out a call on our social media for in our uh, Barista Magazine online, our daily news site, um, asking for more Black writers, illustrators, and photographers to please let us hire you to do some work for us. Um, we had an amazing response, and it's really informed the content for the next issue I intend to keep posting that in for a long time to come. Um, it's it wasn't a one time call out. Also, uh, my That's online awesome. editor, who we have an online editor, Katrina. She's amazing. She creates all of the content for our website, and that has really mm -hmm. been super important since the COVID and Black Lives Matter daily changes to the world. Because as a magazine that comes out every every two months we can't possibly keep up with the daily stuff i mean it, it's that's just the nature of our schedule but she can mm -hmm. and so she has been really focusing on that and there will be she is working very hard to diversify our lineup of writers and contributors so 
we're on the right path. Mm -hmm. We still have a lot of work to do and we should have been doing it a long time ago, but I'm glad we're doing it now. It's amazing uh, to, to see how quickly things change um, and to break out of the norms or the, the, the learned habits, uh, the way that you were raised. Uh, it's, I mean, I shouldn't say it's hard, but it is, it's a change for everybody who doesn't experience the kind of things that, you know, black indigenous people of color deal with every single day. Um, as a white person be like, it, it, again, it's so hard to phrase, but like as a white person explicitly like calling for black contributors feels weird and it shouldn't. Right. And that's what we're learning is like that it shouldn't feel weird. Right. Yeah. But, um, we, I grew up, I'm, I'm in my late twenties. Kevin's in his early thirties. Yeah. No, the reason that it feels weird is because is of the problem. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's why. So like, we just have to get over that weird feeling. Totally. And totally. just commit. Yeah. So and one thing that, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Well, it reminds me of the conversation started a while, you know, this has been going on in specialty coffee to a, some degree um, for a while where there have been, there's been more awareness of the fact that there's, this is that the specialty coffee industry is a very white industry. Um, mm -hmm. And in particular, the specialty coffee industry is a straight white male dominated industry. And why aren't more why aren't more people of color coming forward? Why aren't more women coming forward to participate in barista competitions? And so we started thinking about all that. And it was because of with white privilege comes that confidence that I belong here. I know I belong here. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And so that dominates. And that's, you know, usually the writers I get reaching out to me have that confidence and it, I'm not saying that it's bad to be confident, but it if it no. if it shuts someone else down or or mm -hmm. makes someone else feel intimidated to try to join the conversation or the competition, then then it mm -hmm. is bad, and then it does warrant a a call out that's as direct as black members of the coffee industry. We really want mm -hmm. you to participate and engage with us. <clears throat> yeah, well, that and that's all. what you're saying is we really what what we what we should be doing, or at least you know at least especially our our responsibility as people who are confident and feel like we belong. What we should be doing is bolstering other people's confidence. Levels, yes, bringing them in and saying, "Hey, no, you too. Come on, I I see that you want in on this. Get in." And you know what's funny? Like you, as you began that explanation. I, it's such a funny thing. I was about to go, oh my God, coffee's so diverse. And that's just my perspective on it. And you probably have a much better perspective than I do. And for, as soon as you were like, it's a white, hetero, male dominate, I was like, oh no. <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> it is, that is not what I thought. <laughs> but, but that shows my own ignorance and where... I then need to go, oh, hey, she said something different. I should probably pay attention to that and bring more people in and say, hey, I don't want that to be the case. You know, like, I don't right. want it to just be straight white dudes 
no. standing around talking about coffee. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is what Matt and I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That realization is so, um, like, it it's so clear and we never see it, you know? Like, the the three of us here in this conversation are a sample size, right? And we're, the three of us are straight and white, you know? Two of us are male. Um, we, we just released a podcast episode, like, two hours before the recording of this episode um, with a woman of color in our community who... Um, is running for state senate in New York State, and she's a community leader. And she connected, or actually, Kevin connected with her. Kevin like looked up to her, and and you, oh, you actually know her daughter, right? You're like friends with her daughter. Yeah, we both do theater. And the the preface, the intro to that episode, I had to say like, listen, Kevin and I are two straight white cisgender heteronormative males. Um, talking about coffee in a sea of straight, white, heteronormative males, right? Talking about coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially, I mean, especially right now with the world in the current situation, the world in the current state that it is, the two of us talking about our experience going to protests is not nearly as indicative of what's happening or not nearly as encompassing we don't have the same perspective. We don't have that perspective. Yeah. So we can't have. And that's why, yeah, that's why it's important um, to make those call outs. You know what? I, I had other questions in mind. Uh-huh. But now, yeah. now that we're on to this topic, right? Yeah. Um, th- to me, here's the most important thing we can do right now. Sarah. What are some of the ways that Barista Mag is reaching out to people of color, to women, to enhance their voices within the Barista Mag community? What are some ways that, uh, and then on top of that, what are some ways that you would recommend that people within the coffee community, such as Matt and myself, do the same? Okay. Um, I can tell you how we're doing it. I, I, I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm really... Okay. Totally I'm looking cool. for, well, and and also because I don't I don't think that white people right now should be the experts. Um, I think our job right now is to be listening and learning and offering support. And so, yes. so for that, that's been a little tricky to navigate because my job is to reach out to people, to be sources, to be writers, to be artists who work with us. I want, but I don't want to, you know take away from anyone who's going through some pretty traumatic times right now, such as pretty much every BIPOC person in coffee right now. Yes. Um, So what we're doing is we're plowing forward and trying to get to expand our group of contributors, to expand our content, to have more relevant um, information to a diverse audience Mm-hmm. And we're going to, we are doing this knowing that we're going to screw up and that we're going to stumble and we're going to be criticized and we're going to, mm-hmm. we're just going to keep having to try because yeah. that's the work that we have to put in is just to keep trying to serve and keep trying to do it better and better and realize that mistakes will be made and we'll be called out for them. And we just need to l- use those as learning experiences. You know, honestly, that was the perfect answer. And that, I, that, that is advice for me, you know, 
That is, that is like, I know you said you're not an expert and I love when people say that because it usually means that they're actually going to say something intelligent afterward, you know? <laughs> so, so, but that, that's, that's all we can do. We can keep trying, know we're going to make mistakes and just keep pushing forward and keep trying to be inclusive. Keep trying, you know, yep. put the work in, know you're going to make a mistake, but accept it, like learn from it, listen, move forward, keep trying, like. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of white people I know in coffee right now who are afraid to say anything because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. And mm -hmm. right now things are so volatile, um, as they should be, that mm -hmm. I do understand taking a step back and, and listening and letting other people, letting black people have the stage, yes. have the floor. Um, but, yes. but and this this conversation is going to hopefully continue for a very long time. However, I think that people will get more to a point where they're willing to have uh, conversations where you know the, the more more constructive uh, details of the work that needs to be done um, will come about. But I I just we just have yeah. to try. I'm looking forward to seeing what what shape that takes because the that that word that you use there that i love is constructive you know like the ba the base itself is con you know like contigo like together we're actually we're going to do this together we're going to build together and that's that's probably the biggest thing that anybody can take away right now is like hey put the work in keep trying we're going to make mistakes we're going to try to do it together as long as we're trying together we're we're at least putting the right foot forward right yeah uh, um, now how many, how many, I, I know we kind of briefly touched on this before we started recording. You, you have two main employees, you and your husband. Yes. And then you have a few people who are regular employees of yours who help put the issues together. Yes. And, but after that, everything is submission. Yes. Which uh, is amazing sorry, because that gives for my other pair of headphones. Because um, that gives people an opportunity to then submit of their own volition what they think should be talked about, you know, right. different issues that are in the community right now or different topics that they're passionate about that they would like to see featured in your magazine. Right. So anybody so, listening right now who's passionate about coffee that maybe has a good voice should look into submitting to Barista Magazine. I would love to, I've always said from the beginning when we started the magazine that the more voices we can have in the magazine, the better, um, just because it is such a broad community. And mm -hmm. as I mentioned to you guys before, I, I don't work in a cafe. I don't, I'm not right there experiencing what our readership is going through. And so uh, I, I do rely on people to let me know what they would like to be hearing yeah. So anyone who's interested or has an idea for something we should be covering that we're not, um, please email me at editor at baristamagazine.com and I will respond. I promise. That's awesome. So that's, that's editor at baristamagazine.com. Correct. And just, and email you with something that they want to write about, or like if they have a piece that they would like to submit, they can just send it right into you yep. to the proper subject line. And there it is. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So in our conversations, you were very um, receptive. I mean, you, you got back to me so quickly. 
Um, so that's good though. That, that, that bodes well, that people that want to reach out to you, um, you respond pretty quickly. Uh, you're obviously so friendly. So, I mean, hopefully if anything, if anybody takes anything from this, it's like, you know, hopefully like get inspired to send something over and see what happens. Or if you know someone, even if like you're a friend of a friend. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I love about coffee is that there are very, very few people who, and I'm talking about super high level coffee people who will not stop and have a conversation with anyone who wants to. I mean, it's yeah. people want to share and want to get to know each other. This is a so such a super social uh, community of people. And I love that. So. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the coffee community. And, and just, you know, you go from cafe to cafe. And of course, like, there, this, the stereotype joke that we highlight is like, you know, the, the coffee snob who turns mm -hmm. their nose up at certain things and stuff. But really, that is a caricature mm -hmm. of a person that you rarely come across in the coffee world. Like a lot of times the people that you're coming across, they just they, they want to talk to you. They want to find out what you love about coffee and they want to share what they love about coffee. Yep. I agree. Yeah. And I and I feel like there has been a switch or a move in the last uh, few years. Um towards definitely high, high levels of customer service. And mm -hmm. that means a barista, a really good barista will, you know, be happy to talk to you about coffee if you want to get into the nitty gritty, or they'll be like, you want a double tall uh, black forest chocolate mocha? No yep. problem. I'm going to make the best one you've ever had. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. I think I think a lot of baristas that I've talked to say like, you know, their job is to leave the customer better off than they were when they showed up. It's about improving people's lives. Um, we have barista friends who have like counseling backgrounds. We have barista friends who have like, you know, arts and music backgrounds. And so you can connect with people on so many different levels. Um I think that's one of my favorite parts about the coffee community is the um, the the welcoming vibe. I've never met a barista that was mean to me. You know what I mean? Everybody's very cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to to get back into kind of like the barista mag part of this conversation, what's something that you've noticed in maybe in the past couple of years, or maybe just in you know the longevity of the magazine? Um, that's kind of surprised you about what it takes to run a magazine? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, I mean, I guess all the moving parts as far yeah. as like we have to keep track of subscriptions. We have a printer that, you know, we've been working with for all 15 years because they're so good and they know exactly what we want. It's just all these details. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, the postal service and dealing with price increases or, you know, snowstorm in such part of the world where right now because of COVID there are fewer flights. And so everything going overseas and we have readers all over the world is going by boat and yeah. <laughs> you know problems there wow. are problems like that that we're just constantly trying to troubleshoot yeah logistics so, so there's almost yeah. just like 
there's like a, a, a need for a level of adaptivity as like a publisher editor that is just like in it, it's built into the credentials of the job. Right. But I don't yeah. know if that's so specific to magazines. I mean, I would think especially small businesses in any field will have to. I mean, we don't have. a Yes. Like with with um, <laughs> with our, you know, with our position and our trying to support and speak out on behalf of the black coffee community, we don't have a diversity director. We don't have mm -hmm. an HR department. Mm -hmm. We're trying to do this. We actually have a story at our website yesterday. It was up about like the people we serve are just like us. They're mom and pop kind of shops. And so yeah. when you, what do you do to educate yourself when you don't have the money to have a hiring manager or a diversity director, that kind of thing? Oh yeah. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. something that's super helpful to delve into that question at all. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and so that's, I guess, everyone is doing in, in whatever line of work they're in when they're when they're a small company, you guys know from what you're doing. Oh, um, yeah. You're you're just trying to figure out, like, just hit hit all the balls as they come to you. Like that's that's why I said yes earlier when you started your explanation. I was like, yes, <laughs> we do have to adapt and we have had to adapt and we are continuing to adapt. And, and you guys, too, in a really good way. And you've been very. Um, the thing that I love about Barusa Mag is you've also, you've been very communicative about it, um, about those adaptations. You've been very forthcoming and that's, that's a comforting thing because you never want to think of a magazine as just like this ethereal body concept that just kind of exists when there's someone who's actually like communicating what's going on with the magazine. There's a human element to that. You know, there's a human element to those words that help to like, they, they bring you a little bit of peace. Really, if I'm being honest. I appreciate you saying that because that's yeah. something that's really important to me to speak directly to our readership and be really transparent about like, like we've never been, you know, uh, we're, we're a media empire and we're, you know, because right. <laughs> we're not, because I think that part of You mean you don't want to be, uh, you know, you don't want to be the next Murdoch? <laughs> no, no, we no. don't. I mean, and, and we're, I mean, we like the size our company is and yeah. We, I, I want people to know that we are just like that, our readers, we are just like them on so many levels in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, just being small, trying to do things as well as we can, screwing up along the way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you guys are, you're so good at being not, I'm sorry, Matt, for, no, 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 um, no, no. You're, you're, you're so good at not only being communicative and forthcoming but also one thing that i really loved was uh going back to that human element you know matt and i got in touch with you and immediately you had you were like hey you guys are sharing coffee passion we recognize what you're doing here's some magazines that we want you to hand out to anybody who doesn't have one or like maybe doesn't realize that there is one and um i handed them out to a few people who have been like yo thank you so much i actually I've always meant to read this, but I never had the time while I was at work because I was always making lattes like 24 seven and then I would leave and I'm tired. And like you hand them that copy in person and they go home and they actually read it because one, they're furloughed from their cafe from March to ah. May, but two, because they were like, oh, I had the intention to do this. Now it's actually being physically handed to me. And I even, I, I walked into my mom's today when I got back from um, the Adirondacks and uh, my grandfather 
had a copy open on the table <laughs> on our dining room. Very and I was cool. like, yeah. And I was like, this is a man who, if, if I had not like purposefully left it on that table, he would not have opened it. Like he would, he would never even know that it existed. And you know, I'm sure everything would have been fine otherwise anyway, but he actually had it open and I was like, wow, that's cool. Gramps learned about coffee. That's awesome. Uh, I love hearing that. Um, yeah. And and if I could just make a little, uh, just say a little something, which is that um, we do, we keep our subscribe subscription prices as low as we possibly can. They basically just cover printing and mailing. And right now they're half off through August. Oh, wow. Um, and That's huge. If that everybody is low on money right now, so if you if you're not able to get a subscription, Barista Magazine is also available to read for free in full at our website, or we have an app that is free to download, and you can get entire issues for free oh, there too. Wow. So it's just you can read it anywhere you are. Well, I'll be sure to put that in the show notes because that's yeah. huge, and links to you guys. Um, I had one question. My, I lost my trade of thought. I messed you up. I know. No, no, you're totally okay. I come in here all delirious, <laughs> just saying stuff. Oh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna make, um, I'm gonna give you a compliment, and then I'm gonna ask a real question. Cause I, te- I, I tend to like sometimes just make like comments or statements, you know, to like add to the conversation. But as an interviewer, like you know, it's a skill that I'm still developing. I won't follow it up with a question a lot. I'll usually just go like, yeah, I really like that. And we'll be like, we talked about that one day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but anyways, I still want to make a compliment, a uh, compliment slash comment. Um, I love the texture of the outside of your magazines. Oh yeah. The texture is so cool. It's what? different. It's super different. It's kind of like grippy, like gra- uh, like sandpaper. What? It's like a loofah. Yeah. Like what inspired you to do that or did you come across a sample uh like a, like a swath of different uh materials or was it like we've had that cover stock for so long and we and i love hearing that it still strikes people um we knew when we started the magazine that we wanted to have a matte cover we didn't want it to be glossy and mm-hmm. so our printer sent us a whole bunch of different samples and we tried them all and we went with one that was had a pretty good texture yeah for the first like year or something and I was like I want more I want it to have even more resonance and so our print rep sent us a bunch more samples and we found this one that is not like anything I've ever felt on another magazine and that's what we have and I I love it because it is like your tactile memory is is a very real thing and um yes, and yes, so people really do is. so people do associate that with us which is really awesome and then the other thing is going back to serving this community we spend way more money than we should on the cover stock and the paper but it's really important for us to for it to feel like something you'll keep for years like with your books i can't throw them out they feel so premium they really do like are you familiar with um it's like a coffee table book um, about like watches and cars. Hodinkee? I don't think so. Really cool. Check them out. Um, the, it, yeah, it's basically luxury watches, luxury cars. It's kind of it's kind of a dude's magazine, I guess. But if you're into watches and cars, it's great. And it's a great coffee table book. Um, same kind of I- idea 
really high quality pages, right? Like the binding is really solid. It's beautiful and crisp. And you just don't want to throw them out. I feel the same way about Breezed Magazine. So really that cool. is so mm. nice to hear. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. So my question, you mentioned when we were talking about like your staff that you, you know, you want to keep it small. You want to keep it homey. You want to keep it personal. And it does feel very personal. Like I know Barista Magazine as, as Barista Magazine, as the Barista Magazine. I see it at every cafe I go to. You guys have a really great following. Um, but talking to you, you're such a human being. You're so approachable. Um, what are your, do you have any goals for growth? That is such a good question. So when we turned 10, I remember being asked by a lot of people like, so what's next? Are you going to start right. another magazine? Or are you guys going to go to a monthly? And our answer, what, and we talked about it a lot. And we're like, we're, we feel like we just figured out how to do this. And so we just, our goal is to just make every issue better than the last and to, to keep serving this community. We are not doing this to get rich. There's no one does coffee to get rich except for a very few people. That's what I'm learning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. But we're happy. Welcome, and, Matt. <laughs> and we, you know, we get to run our office, our offices, the upstairs of our house. And we have our dogs and cats with us every day. And um, mm, we are awesome. able, we're able to travel to in, in normal non COVID times, we, we travel all the time, which we love. And also um, coming out six times a year gives us the chance to do the traveling, which allows us to see the people we're writing for. Um, mm -hmm. We are very happy with the model we have. Our, our small staff is, they're small but mighty and wonderful, and we're so lucky to have them. And so, yeah, we just want to keep doing this and keep getting better at it. Totally agree, honestly. Um, I think we're approaching the the pendulum swing the other way to, you know, quality again, I think, I hope. Um, whereas, you know, the last 20 or 30 years, it's been the growth of big Amazonian type companies, volume, you know, outsourcing. I think people in our generation are much more inclined to want to buy something that seems like you know, uh, somebody from the United States, uh, you know, a mom and pop type shop, you know, put this thing together, took the time to get the high, you know, the best quality ingredients or, uh, materials. Maybe they spent a little extra money to know that it was properly sourced, right. Or that it was, um, environmentally friendly. We care about that stuff again. Mm -hmm. I hope, I think. Because, I hope so too. Yeah. And I hope, especially coming out of, well, we're just now starting this to time. see the effects of the economic depression that we're going to be in. And I am so worried about the small business owners mm. everywhere, but especially in coffee. Um, but I am yeah. very, very hopeful that yes, people will prioritize local and prioritize, you know, supporting people who are just like them rather than you know, going to the big box stores and right. the big box coffee. And so, yeah. Uh, you know, it's from an outsider perspective, it seems like the area that you guys are based out of has a good mentality about locality of business. Is that true? 
Yes, Portland is, well, Portland is super white, which is weird to me since I came from, <laughs> well, since I came, I came from, you know, Northern California and so oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. still, even though I've been here for a long time, it's still strange. Like Sacramento, Northern California? Berkeley. Oh, oh yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. Berkeley. Yeah. Okay. Which mm-hmm. is, so you, yeah. Which is like Northwest of Sacramento. Yeah. It's like. Right? Uh, it's, or maybe no, it's just actually, more due west. No, it's it's sort of it's southeast. Is it southeast? It's just across the bridge from San Francisco. Am I ridiculous? And right okay. next door to Oakland. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so Portland is super white, but it is a very progressive community. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, Portlandia, the TV show, like that was real. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> really, I always wondered. <laughs> That's a little too close to home for a lot of people who live here. But um Is it? But yeah. But like I've never seen a Trump sign in this city. <laughs> um oh. I, the the way All the, right. the way the community has come together in the demonstrations for this Black Lives Matter movement has been absolutely amazing. They're on mm-hmm. tonight will be the twenty first straight day of protests. Um mm-hmm. Uh, I love living here. It's a, it's, there is, there are so many small businesses. There is so much focus on that. There are lots of areas where, you know, big box stores aren't even allowed to be. So, um, yeah, yeah. but it, we're a bubble. I mean, we are not representative of a lot of the country. Oh, true. Yeah. I, I mean, and that, well, and that's why Matt used the word hope, you know, mm-hmm. we, we can, we, we can hope that we're learning mm-hmm. that the listening that we're doing will pay off. And that, you know, when we when we come out on the other side of COVID-19, on the other side of a, a social reform and a yeah. justice reform, that uh, the lessons that we've learned will be continually carried with us, that we'll be mm-hmm. lending the voices that we have to other people. I, I think the biggest word that you used just now is together. You know, mm-hmm. the community has come together. Mm-hmm. And there, the, right now there is a notion of togetherness that has uh, a a type of power to it that is indicative of empathy and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, striving for seeing the best in one another. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I certainly hope that continues. And I certainly hope that, you know, we continue to promote togetherness afterward. And, you know, even though it's a subculture, your, you know, Barista magazine, Roast magazine, they informationally bring their communities together because they're sharing stories. And I mean, that's the crux of what we're really doing in the coffee industry as a whole. We're always sharing a story. Right. And we're always coming together in a in a comfortable setting. I mean, that's what the best cafes are. So, yeah, I am. I am hopeful. I, I think we can do it. I think so, too. I, I think we only have one question left for you. We have one singular question left. Possibly the most important. Easily the most important. <laughs> What's your jam? What's my jam? Um, yeah, what are you listening to right now? What kind of music you got? Or podcast. Or podcast. Podcast. What well, audio how about, is your jam? How, well, I'm a big reader. Um, and, <gasps> I, and I also am a big listener to lots of music. But I am right now reading. or I'm, I have a book that I'm listening to as an audio book. Okay which is called Stamped from the Beginning, A Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. 
Ooh. It's by the author Ibram Kendi, who is who wrote uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which is uh, probably his best known book. Um, but uh, there are just there's a lot of like we've talked about a lot of learning to do. So. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I also need to do some heavy reading into the history of racism in the United States. And, um, there's still so much that I can learn. I I'll admit Kevin has been much more, um, activist out of the two of us, uh, in this. I, I went to a local rally, you know, but you know, it, it's a little bit more personal to Kevin. He has a brother who's half black. He has. Friends. I just grew up in a multicultural family. Yeah. So, so for me, like this was just a, like being an ally was second nature. It, it was just like yes, like it was yeah, very yeah. easy for me to go. Yeah. Oh yeah, I already knew what this privilege was. I actually saw it happen between me and my brothers. You know, like my my little brother would be treated differently than I was. So right. you know, yeah, and it, it's just because I have two Caucasian parents. One of his parents is black. You know, like, right. and some people didn't even believe that we were siblings. So like for me, yeah, it was easy to jump in and just yeah. be active. Um, but uh, Matt, what what what's your jam, buddy? You didn't get to that. Are you listening to any books right now? You're always listening to something. Yeah, no, no audio books currently. Um, all right, so my. I have two younger brothers. Um, my the middle. I'm the oldest. The middle turned me on to uh, an alternative, you know, kind of like folk rock artist called um, Mac DeMarco. Mm-hmm. And he's got a record called Salad Days, and I've been jamming that big time lately. Right on. I will totally check that out. Mac DeMarco. Yeah, it's good. Mac DeMarco is good stuff. Okay. It's it's chill. Matt's always, Matt's always getting down on the chill music. Matt um, came over to my apartment the other morning, and I was like, just, I, I forget what I was blaring, but I was just blaring. Matt's like, I need your energy right now. <laughs> um, no, uh, dude, you know my jam. I, show, I showed Matt earlier this week. I bet, I, have you ever heard of Run the Jewels, Sarah? Oh, yeah. I love Run Oh, my Run God. The Jewels. Me too. Yeah, we're all jamming Run the Jewels right now. Run I think it's Jewels. important. I showed Matt that song just with Pharrell in it, where he's like, uh, master the academics, because you're great, say you were scholar. Like, I, mm-hmm. oh my God, that whole album. I, I've always been a fan of like, I was a big Outkast fan growing mm-hmm. up. So like Killer Mike, just like, as soon as his name was on the scene, I was like, oh, he's on, you know, Outkast. I know him. And then, um, you know, LP, I had some friends who were into hip hop, so I like kind of knew of him, but I didn't know him really well. And then the first time I heard Run the Jewels, I was like, yes. Thank you. And that yeah. new album for them to drop it and then say, hey, it's free to download online. And like, yeah, those guys are like, in my opinion, Run the Jewels is like definitely setting a golden standard for artists right now. I, I totally agree. And yeah. the my, Killer Mike statements throughout the Black Lives Movement uh, it have been super important. And I think yeah. it resonated with a lot of people who might not have. I don't know, heard the message from somewhere, someone else. So I, I totally, totally agree. Yeah. He has a good voice. He knows how to use it. And then the mm-hmm. other thing I like, is just like, there are some songs on that album that are just fun. 
So like, you know, mm-hmm. whether, whether, whether you're looking to be educated a little bit or if you're looking to escape a little bit for like two minutes and 34 seconds of beat and rhyme making, you know, yep. that's a good thing to delve into. Totally. Yeah. Well, Sarah Allen, thank you for hanging with us. Thanks for talking with us. We'll stay and in touch with you. Yeah, hey, come back. Can Please I come back. throw a, real quick, throw a compliment you guys' way to say that you are... Oh, yeah. Both super duper good interviewers. Maybe you should write for Briefs Magazine. <laughs> and oh, then, we would love and then, to. <laughs> and this has also just been so much fun for me. And uh, Thank you, you know, connecting with people during this time of isolation is really important. And I just so appreciate you having me on. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. That really means a lot to me, especially because we had to work through some technical difficulties. So. Really, really makes me happy. Thank you for yeah. being here. Well, like for seriously, sure. I I want to have you back on, and I want to delve into like I would love to have you back on in the future to delve into your perspective of how the barista community has evolved over time, because that would just that could be an episode in itself, just talking about the ways that it's kind of shifted and how you've been able to see it. My brain is full of so many like random details that no one would be interested in, but would be totally applicable to that conversation. So just perfect. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Honestly, you are a pleasure. Like it's here. You said we're good interviewers, but honestly, it, 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 it goes both ways. That's a two way street. An interview is always Mm -hmm. both ways. So, oh yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, yeah, have a great night. Have a great Thank night. You. Have a beer you for too. us. Will do. Oh, yeah, what beer are you having? <laughs> <laughs>